Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I've never heard of the Bob Wilkins show. But if he shows my films, God bless him and long life to him. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hi, this is George Stevens Jr. You're listening to TV Confidential with Ed Robertson, who's such a great interviewer. <laughs> well, I uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Ed Robertson, along with our guest, Julian David Stone. Julian's latest novel, It's Alive, is a page-turning work of historical fiction that captures the vibrant, exciting, and often chaotic days of 1930s Hollywood, and in particular, the chaotic events that unfolded in the 72 hours before the first day of production of the now-classic 1931 horror movie, Frankenstein, a frenzied period of time that found producer Carl Lemley Jr. without a lead actor, or for that matter, without a director, until Lemley finally cast Boris Karloff just a few hours before the cameras rolled for the first time on Monday, August 24th, 1931. It's Alive by Julian David Stone, available on hardcover and as an ebook and audiobook through Greenleaf Book Group and Amazon.com. Julian David Stone's other books include No cameras allowed my career as an outlaw rock and roll photographer no cameras allowed the amazing story of how julian managed to sneak camera equipment into rock concerts over a six-year period during the mid 1980s and along the way amassed a collection of more than 10,000 up close and personal photographs of some of the biggest rock stars of the era and a book we mentioned in our first segment the strange birth short life and sudden death of Justice Girl, Justice Girl, also an historical novel, only this one is based in the world of 1950s live television. It's our understanding that Justice Girl is currently being developed into a TV series. We'll ask Julian about that later on in our conversation. For more on Julian David Stone, go to juliandavidstone.com. I'm going to guess here that while you did a certain amount of research to, to to make sure certain details are there throughout the pages of It's Alive, being a storyteller, you also went wherever your imagination took you in, in certain places. But it, it seems to me when you write a work of historical fiction, there are pros and cons because you, on the one hand, you, you have characters, real-life people at your disposal, and, but, and you can kind of go where your imagination takes you, but you sort of have to follow who, how, how certain events were or how certain traits of these people actually were. Absolutely. You know, I try to stick as much as possible to reality, but it is a work of fiction. It's all based on absolutely on fact that in in the case of It's Alive, you know, there was tremendous back and forth 
you know, about who was going to star as the monster, and, you know, Karloff isn't announced as playing the role until the production has actually started. Um, and one of the things in, in the novel, if anybody picks it up, uh, there are quotes from newspapers in the beginning, and then there's one at the end. Those are all real, mm -hmm. which show you the back and forth about who was going to be cast in the role. There's a very famous letter that James Whale, the director of Frankenstein, wrote to Colin Clive, who played Dr. Frankenstein, that he received when he showed up in America. He was an English actor, and he came to Hollywood uh, to be in the film, and he arrives in America two weeks before the start of production, and he's greeted with a copy of the script and a letter from James Whale. And in this letter, just two weeks from production, he says, and playing the role of the monster will either be Bella Lugosi or Boris Karloff. So you can see they were very much still trying to figure out where what they were going to do with this film. And, you know, Karloff is so, I mean, that, that's what everybody thinks of. And it's amazing to think of that this monumental moment in movie history, how it was still so in flux right up to the end. Another discovery for me, uh, because I make no bones about it. I like old movies. I don't pretend to be an expert on old movies. That's why I talk to people like you. But uh, 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 one of the cool things, uh, one, one, one of the cool details that you capture in, in It's Alive, Julian, is another aspect of the changing face of movies in 1930s Hollywood. Besides having a young buck like Junior Lemley running a major motion picture studio, but um, – and this goes back to Boris Karloff with the advent of talking pictures. There are certain choices made in casting actors that weren't that were not necessarily in play in the days of silence. And so you had to look for actors with certain oratory skills and be, being able to make something out of a character, whether it's a lead character or a small character. And as a result, agents, casting people were looking to the theater more and more beginning in the 1930s, and that's how Boris Karloff was discovered. Absolutely. Um, that's, you know, that's the other, that's the backdrop of the story, that it was a period, you know, when, when Junior takes over the studio, of unbelievable upheaval. Sound really, you know, the end of 1927 is when the jazz singer uh, comes out, and overnight it, it changes that by, by, I believe it's 1929 or 1930, the studios have completely stopped making silent pictures. And, and you know, people are still, you know, careers are ending, other people are being discovered. And part of it that's also fascinating is nobody really knew what a sound film was. You know, what, what did audience expect from it? Did they just want dialogue? Did they just want music? What is the, the relationship between the two? You have to get until about 1932, 1933, where if you looked at a film from then, it would certainly look like an old film, but the relationship of sound is what we've come to expect today, meaning we understand that there's score under certain scenes. You know, when, when the camera's far away, we expect the voices to sound one way, you know, as opposed to when the camera is right up in their face. All of that took a while to be figured out during this period of time, and it's really fascinating. And that was one of the things that Junior did. He very much w wanted to embrace sound, where his father was a little hesitant uh, with it when it first came in, because some people thought it was going to be a fad. You know, the film history is, is filled with things that didn't work. You know, remember Sense Around? <laughs> even, you know, and even 3D comes and goes. There yeah. was a big craze in the 50s. There was a big craze about 10 years ago, and they still do it, but it's not quite what it was even 10 years ago. The, some of
some of these things don't necessarily catch on, and nobody knew whether sound was another one of those. You know, remember smell vision? Yes, I do. So, <laughs> so it, it, it's really fascinating, and you're only a couple of years into the sound era. There, you know, by now it was, you know, at least Junior felt this way, and he was clearly right. And most people did that sound was here to stay, but there was no guarantee of that. Julian David Stone is the author of It's Alive, It's Alive, a page-turning work of historical fiction that captures the vibrant, exciting, and often chaotic days of 1930s Hollywood, and in particular the chaotic events that unfolded in the 72 hours before the first day of production of the now-classic 1931 horror movie Frankenstein, a frenzy that found producer Carl Lemley Jr. without a lead actor, or for that matter, without a director, until Lemley finally cast Boris Karloff just a few hours before production started Monday, August 24, 1931. It's Alive, available hardcover as an ebook and as an audiobook through Greenleaf Book Group and Amazon.com. Julian's other books include No Cameras Allowed, My Career as an Outlaw Rock and Roll Photographer, and a book we mentioned a little bit earlier, The Strange Birth, Short Life, and Sudden Death of Justice Girl, a historical novel based in the world of 1950s live television that is currently being developed into a television series, I understand. For more about Julian, juliandavidstone.com. What can you tell us about the making of Justice Girl, the series, without revealing too much? <laughs> well, on and on it goes. Um, you know, I've, I've talked about it a few times. You know, it's it, like my story, television is a, an interesting world, and there's still a company involved, but it's not moving as actively of it as it was a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I don't know what to say. I, I, there was a period there where it looked very promising, and right now it's a little bit more on the back burner, but hopefully with the, you know, It's Alive is going over very well. And I'm hoping that will regenerate interest in, in the other title, too. Well, one advantage that you have right now, Julian, is besides you know creating something else that is you know, generating buzz right now, is with all the various platforms that are out there, you have more opportunities to find a home for a film or television adaptation of Justice Girl, or for that matter, a film and television or television adaptation of It's Alive, if that should come to be. You have a lot more platforms available to you to find a home than you would have when you first started your career. Oh, no question. The amount of production right now and, and different things being made, and you can really do things for a much smaller audience than, you know, where it was you know, 20, 30 years ago when I was starting out, no question. You've written for all three mediums. When you write something, do you... <laughs> do you do you necessarily think in terms of, okay, this might work as a play, this might work as a film or television thing, or do you focus on getting the story down first and and telling the best story you can and then figuring out the form and genre later? Uh, that, that's actually a great question. Um, it is very specific to the genre. In fact, I've had a couple of incidences where I have struggled. You know, I've come up with an idea and I've spent some time developing it, let's say, as a play, or as a book, or as a screenplay, and converting it out of that form has never worked for me. Um, it, it, that's a great question, because it just came up yesterday when I was talking to somebody. There's just something about the way at least my brain works that I envision it as a certain type of material, and you start to structure the way you want to put your storytelling together based on the medium, and it's very, very difficult. I, I, I haven't been able to do it. In fact, on some projects, I've wasted more time than I wished 
before abandoning it and going, this isn't going to work in this other medium. It, in fact, it sort of came up when I, when I wrote the Justice Girl novel, um, and there was interest right away to make it into sort of a limited uh, series for television. Mm-hmm. And I was asked whether I wanted to write on it, and I actually turned it down initially because I just felt like it had been so freeing writing the novel, just going any direction I wanted to go, not worrying about anything, that I wasn't going to be able to, you know, thinking about it just didn't appeal to me. Like, how do I break this down now into eight hours of television and, and all of the, and all of that? So my initial decision was not to be involved when, when it was moving forward at that point. And at one point I did get sort of an interesting breakdown in, and character stuff that somebody else had written based off the book, and I loved it. It was really fun to see what somebody else had pulled out of the book, and it only confirmed that I was glad I had chosen not to do it because I would have done it differently, but I really liked what this person had done. They had made some good choices that I certainly would not have made. I, you know, If I'm lucky enough with It's Alive to be in that position, I don't know what I'll do, but I can tell you it's very... Uh, I, I really, with, with all the different phases in my career, I'm really enjoying this phase of writing novels because it's so freeing. You can just do whatever you want. You don't worry about page count. You can write any material you want. If suddenly the story goes in a direction you weren't expecting, you don't have to start thinking of, i got to throw this out to keep the page count where it needs to be. So it's, it's, been, it's been great. Where I, I like where I've ended up. And as Albert Brooks once said, not to me, but he once said this. Uh, the best thing about writing a novel, Julian, there are no notes. Exactly. Exactly. It's Alive uh, by Julian David Stone is available hardcover and as an ebook and as an audiobook through Greenleaf Book and Amazon.com. For more about Julian, JulianDavidStone.com. Julian, always a pleasure to chat with you. I look forward to our next conversation. Yes, just great talking with you, and thanks for having me on again. And all the best of luck with not only It's Alive, but the possible adaptation of Justice Girl. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Thank you. A reminder that Rich Little will join us in our second hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, I want to tell you that our friends at MPI Media Group, in association with the UCLA Film and Television Archive, have just released the first two seasons of The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet for the first time ever on digital platforms and viewing on demand. The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, one of the longest-running sitcoms in TV history, airing on ABC for 14 seasons, 1952 
through 1966 with 435 episodes produced. It is also one of the most beloved family sitcoms from the golden age of television. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, seasons one and two, restored by MPI from the original 35mm picture and sound elements in association with the UCLA Film and Television Archive, which preserves the elements on behalf of the Nelson family. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, seasons one and two, available now on DVD and viewing on demand from MPI Media Group. Ozzie and Harriet, of course, humorously chronicled the daily lives of the Nelson family with Ozzie and Harriet Nelson playing fictional versions of themselves long before Seinfeld did the same thing, while their real-life sons, Ricky and David, grew up before millions of television viewers every week. The TV version of Ozzie Nelson may have seemed clueless, but the real-life Ozzie Nelson was a very shrewd man. A former band leader, Ozzie Nelson used the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet to help launch the musical career of Ricky Nelson by featuring Ricky perform songs every week at the end of each episode long before MTV. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet Seasons 1 and 2 available now on DVD and viewing on demand through MPI Media Group. Many of the episodes featured in Seasons 1 and 2 have not been seen on television in decades, while guest stars include such classic TV stars as Hal Smith, Ellen Corby, Janet Waldo, and Frank Nelson. The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet Seasons 1 and 2 available now on DVD and viewing on demand on many digital platforms from our friends at MPI Media Group. And speaking of family sitcoms, I'm sure by now that all of you listening are aware of the passing of Tony Dow. Tony Dow, the actor known by three generations of TV viewers around the world as Wally Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver. Tony Dow passed away Wednesday, July 27th at the age of 77, we are planning a formal tribute to Tony Dow as we speak. If all goes well, that will air next week on TV Confidential. In the meantime, we'll take a quick time out. Then Greg Airbar will join us for our DVD and streaming report. We come back on TV Confidential. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.